I call it um, carbon fertility because there's several different means of supplying that. Let me ask the question before I turn the slide here. If you look at that model again, what does carbon fertility represent? What does organic matter represent? It's a small proportion. It's a small proportion, but what what is it in relation to the rest of the model? It's the testimony. It's the, the witness from when you bring those two things together and the life is created from them. Now, in this case, it happens to be testimony that's gone before. It's not the living testimony that's currently going on. It's the testimony that's gone before. So you, if you ever read a book, let's say you read The Desire of Ages, that's not current testimony. That's testimony that was given before. Understand? Or if you read any book or you read about somebody's experience or whatever, you're, 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 you're feeding on organic matter or, or humus, if you want to put it that way. What do you mean but, because of testifying all uh, well, it depends on what the what the conditions were. What, that that's the whole point. What is it testifying of? You know, do we need to ask the question? Is this testimony okay? Remember, I brought this this Bible verse up before. When the, when the the dust and the breath come together, man becomes a living being, or a living witness, or a living testimony. You could put any of those. Uh, words on it. Um, the real question is, like you just said, what is it testifying of? What's it testifying to? Is it testifying to the glory of God? Or is it testifying to something else? And so, whenever you're looking at carbon fertility, you've got to ask the question, is it providing, because sometimes we need the testimony of others. There's nothing wrong with, you know, feeding on the testimony of others. But the question is, is the testimony actually creating a more balanced and stable condition in my life, or is it leading me further and further out of balance? You understand? If, if, you, if, you're, if you're taking in testimony, and it's, and, it's, and uh, I mean, sometimes people like certain things, and they tend to, to migrate towards those things, but do you think that those would be exaggerating a problem that may already be a problem? As opposed to maybe sometimes there's things you don't necessarily want to read, but reading them would actually give you a more balanced perspective on life. So it's important you understand this testimony. And then it's also important that you understand this principle here. And remember I said before that every school of thought in agriculture rejects this that there's a standard to the law and the testimony. That's a conjunction. It means that you have to have both of them. It doesn't say to the law or the testimony. It doesn't say to the law instead of the testimony. It doesn't say uh, the law and maybe the testimony. It says and. It means both of them. You, Both of them are required. And we're going to see this in a Bible verse I share tonight. How did, I'll just share it here again, here now. Um, how did God's people overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of their testimony. It's a conjunction again. And let me ask you a question. Do you think it would do you think it means or there? Or does it mean and? Is it instead of? No, it's and. It's and. Both of them. So 
when we're looking at carbon fertility, we want it to, to conform to, we want our testimony to conform to the standard, the law. Now, when we take in other testimony, sometimes there's some things that we get that we don't necessarily need, but they're not going to do any harm. And so when I do soil recommendation, I have to take all that into consideration. And um, I have to tell growers sometimes, stop doing what you're doing. Particularly the organic growers where they use uh, lots of organic matter. They apply a lot of compost and things like that. And they've got some, some chemistry so far exaggerated that they have to stop. They cannot apply it anymore. Now, I have people say, well, how am I going to get organic matter into my soil? We need to look at what the, the best way to increase organic matter or to increase testimony is. Uh, I mentioned before that it's actually building oil in the land. Um, so we're going to look at three ways to build carbon fertility. Well, actually, I have this verse here. I forgot I had it on here. There it is. It's, it's both through the blood of Christ and the word of our testimony. But our testimony better be consistent with the standard of God's character. That's the testimony that will help us overcome. It's not any testimony. It's not whatever testimony we feel like sharing. But both of these things are required. Okay, and we just have the, the, uh, the model again, just showing you... Um, that it's really the coming together of these things that produces that testimony. This just kind of divides up and says about 80% of it's humus, 10% is roots, and 10% is organisms. Um, but the definition is anything that was once living before that is now in the process of, of decomposition is breaking down. The humus component of it is when it breaks down to a stable form. That's, that's what that is. Okay, so we, we need to look at three ways to build our testimony, if you want to put it that way. You can build carbon fertility, or you can put it as building organic matter in the soil. Because a lot of organic growers will say to me, uh, you know, how am I going to continue to, to build it? Well, we're going to look at the first one, and this is the a right way, the, the best way to build carbon fertility in the soil. It is probably the, the last way that people do it, but it's the best way to do it. And it's called carbon induction. And in essence, we're going to go through what happens here, but in essence, it's testimony that's generated from our lives. It's our testimony that's stored up in that soil. Now, you'll see why this is the best way of doing this. Um, it's not, there's other options here, but of the three, this is the best way to do it. So let's see what happens in what's called carbon induction. The first thing that happens is the plant is, uh, and this is all, this, the success or failure of this process is all dependent on that model being, the, the closer that model is to right, the more effective this is. Um, so first off, the full, you want full capacity photosynthesis. Uh, most crops can produce as much as three to five times more photosynthetic energy than they typically use. So if you're at full capacity photosynthesis, which would require um, proper porosity and proper mineralization in that soil, that plant is going to produce more energy than it needs. It's going to be pressed down and overflowing. The second thing that happens is sugars are released as root exudates. In other words, remember I said that the plant dumps photosynthate out of its roots? 
Did I share that with you? Um, actually, plants will dump up to 75% of the, 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 the photosynthase of the root out their roots, and they're, they're giving it away uh, for reasons to build a bank account for later on. But anyway, the sugars are released as root exudates, and bacterial populations develop rapidly to utilize these sugars. So in other words, there's an increase in the bacterial population in the soil. Um, number three, as bacterial populations develop, they extract minerals from the soil, mineral matrix, to build their own cells. Number four, plants absorb microbial metabolites and become exceptionally energy efficient. Remember I said that plants prefer um, those nutrients to come in the organic form? Well, the metabolites given off by the, the microbes in the soil are exactly what they, want, they need. And so, and then they don't have to expend the energy to build those things. The microbes in the soil build them for them. And then they take up these microbial metabolites and become exceptionally energy efficient. It means that you need even less energy. They're, they're producing even more surplus energy, resulting in the development of elevated lipid levels. That's, that's fat levels in the soil. Remember I said, when I asked you about salt, fat, and sugar, the, the healthier the plant is, the higher the fat content is going to be in that, in that plant. Um, okay, so you have a development of elevated lipid levels. Number five, lipids are exuded from the roots and are digested by soil fungal populations, which expand rapidly. And number six, finally, fungal digestion of lipids results in the formation of stable humic substances with long half-lives. It means it lasts a long time. Okay, what did I just call lipids? I call them fat, but I mean, you, another term on it is oil. You call it oil. If you want to build oil in a lamp, this is how you do it. But if you want to build oil in a lamp, and, and what it's saying here is you're building organic matter. You're building humus level in the soil. They say that it takes decades to just move organic matter levels like a, a, point, a, a, a tenth of a percent. I know growers that are moving it much more rapidly than that because they have the conditions where the microbial population, the plant is thriving, the microbes are thriving, and they're just generating this humus at a much more rapid pace than, than is typical, what you see typically. Uh, it's not normal, it's typical, is what you see. So what happens is if, if you want to store up, like, I remember I said things like sulfur and boron, they leach out and you lose them, well, they get, they get captured in the bodies of the microbes and the plant roots and residues and everything, and when that breaks down, it gets stored up in the humus. And so this is how you store the oil in the lamp, because if you, as you build that reserve, well, what happens if all of a sudden you can't apply anything to the soil anymore? What if there's no access to that anymore? Well, then you have this bank account that you just tapped into and you can, you may fall asleep, but you can hang around for a while longer and have, and have the means to see your way through on it. Does everybody kind of get that picture? But this is, this is developed internally. This is developed within the soil, within the soil system itself. It's not brought in from somewhere else. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with um, being nourished from the testimony of others if that testimony is appropriate. But the day comes when you must start having your own testimony. You need to have your own testimony, your own witness. Isn't what that, that, what that Bible verse said? 
we need to be a witness ourselves. We need to be witnessing to the glory of God. And, and uh, this, is what, this is how that happens on there. This is not how most people do this. We're content to take somebody else's and bring it in. And we never ask the question, what is it doing to us? What is it doing to the soil when we bring these things all in? And I can tell you, in, a, in most cases, it's not, it, eventually it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. We can't lean on somebody else's testimony all the time. So, and what you're doing is, uh, well, we'll look at it with the last one here. Is that where we're bringing in, we're bringing in carbon fertility from somewhere else. Okay, so that's number one, and that's what your objective is. You know, in the soil system or in your life is to establish the conditions that you, so that you can build the organic matter in the soil through the growth that happens in that soil the natural growth that happens because the character is such and that spirit is such that it increases the testimony it gives a, a, a testimony that's a surplus it's pressed down and overflowing so you wind up storing up reserves of that witness it just gets stored up that's that's the the parable of the ten virgins in the soil there for you when that when that starts happening um, okay, oh, let's see. Take a picture of it. Okay. So as soon as we get the picture taken here, we'll, we're going to move to the second option you have for carbon fertility, increasing carbon fertility. Um, and this one is my second preference for doing it. This first one is actually because you're fully functional. You're fully expressing the character of God. You're fully, you're fully living and witnessing to the world. So the next one here is, um, somebody asked me about this earlier. I don't know if they're in the class now. Um, oh, yeah, it was you. Uh, the, the next option is green manure or cover cropping. In other words, you're growing something on your own soil. And in doing that, it's actually it, it's pulling the character of your soil up. And then uh, it's generating your organic matter from your soil. It's keeping something growing on the soil, which keeps, you know, you're, you're, you're actively growing. You're not sitting there idle with the risk of, of loss because of, because of that. Um, and the crops can be selected to target specific objectives. So let's say you're short phosphate. Uh, you can plant buckwheat. Buckwheat's a, a phosphate accumulator. So you can plant buckwheat. If you're needing nitrogen, you can use legumes to grow and then work and then turn in. Um, if you need more acidity in the soil, you can use a, a, a um, or more nutrients release, you can use uh, plants with a more acidic root like oats uh, to, to release stuff. If you need to capture nutrients from loss, you can plant something like rye or, or, or cereal grass that has a, a, a massive root system that'll take and it'll take up all those nutrients and capture them from, from leaching loss or whatever in the process. So you can be selective here. And, you know, remember I said that God is specific. And so we need to know ourselves. We need to know what our needs are. And if we can use this method to build uh, carbon fertility in the soil, then again, here, we're not making it worse at best because we're not bringing something else in. That we don't, we may not even know all of the implications of bringing it in. We're just generating it from our own soil. It's coming from our own soil, so it can't. It won't be any worse than 
if it's imbalanced or whatever, you haven't got it all the way there, it's not going to contribute anything any worse than, than what you already have. Okay, so everybody follow that one? This is the one that happens the most. This is the most common process here. It's the use of compost and manures, other organic material sources. Now there's, there's others you could add in here like, um, uh, well, it's still compost, but the big one right now in Canada with, uh, with Jean-Martin Fortier is the rainmeal wood, which is the, the, the chipped up um, young branches and leaves. That's because that's where 75% of the nutrients are in a tree. The, the, the way I look at this though, and, and you know, if there's a surplus that can be shared and it's needed, well then that's a good thing. But if you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, in other words, you're taking life from here so that you can have it over here, you just left that over there with less life, right? So you're not really increasing life. You're just moving it from one place to the other. And our, and our goal is to increase life. Um, I'm not saying that this is, this is not something you should do. I'm just saying that you should carefully consider, you know, how you should approach this. Because there, there are times I recommend combos and manures all the time in appropriate cir circumstances. If it is not appropriate, then it's not appropriate. I actually had a, a, uh, a lady that did the marketing for a big composting operation. We were at a training, same training, um, and she asked me, she said, she said, as a consultant, what could you recommend that I could say to my customers um, that would help them more? And I said, the number one thing you could do to help your, your customers more is to tell them when it's not a good idea to buy our compost. To buy her compost. To buy the, to, to put, to apply the compost. She looked at me with this shocked look and I said, I said, listen, just think this through. I said, if you, if you just trying to sell the product, and it's not going to be helpful to them. It's going to cause them problems. Do you think they're going to tell anybody else anything good about your compost? I said, tell them when this is not a good idea. We would love to sell you compost, but I don't think that it would work really well under your circumstances. That's really hard for people that are only concerned with making a living and not making a life. You know, they're worried about what they're going to get. They're not worried about what they can give. And so... Um, you need to know where this has value because somebody else's testimony can be of value to us. It can improve our conditions in our soil. And I, I pointed out in an organic matter, you have two components to it. You have, because it's a combining of the, the air or the breath and the dust or the minerals, it's a combining of that. So what's in it? Both of those things are in it, isn't it? What's going to happen to the air elements in it? They're going to go back into the air. What's going to happen to the mineral elements in it? They're staying right there. They're not going anywhere. Unless they erode away or, or whatever. So any of the minerals that came with it, if you needed them, wonderful. Because you just built your, your you just had the increase you needed. But if you don't need them, then you just created a problem for yourself. And a lot of people forget that about organic matter. There's a lot of advantages to it because... You know, a lot of organic growers, they use way more uh, compost than, than you would ever see generated in nature in a natural cycle. You would never see it. You may see 10 tons, 15 tons of the acre of organic material generated. Uh, and growers, a lot of organic growers are putting 75 tons to the acre. And we were talking about 
one of the things we were talking about. One of the reasons they get away with it is because organic matter ties things up. It, it captures materials in, in it, inside of it, and as long as you maintain that buffer, you may be okay. But if, if that ever, what would happen, let's just ask the question here, what would happen if you're all of a sudden in a position where you cannot generate any carbon fertility anymore, and you have to start burning it out, what's gonna happen? You have to start using it. You have to start using that oil to fire the lamp. What's gonna happen if inside of that testimony, that organic matter, you have a whole bunch of characteristics that, you, that are exaggerated. What's gonna happen to you when that all of a sudden starts releasing back out? It would be like the salt. You know, as long as it's buffered in there, it's okay. But what happens when the stress comes and all of a sudden you don't have the ability to maintain that condition anymore? Then it's all of a sudden going to all spill out and, and you're going to find yourself in a place you never thought you'd be planning on it. So you can get away with it for a while as long as you're buffering it. But the question is when, when, uh, what's going to happen when you can't buffer it anymore. Uh, and, and that happens all the time, even under normal conditions. Um, and I have, you know, I have growers. The, the biggest problem that you have with this is, and I've, I've really wanted to be able to sit down and see, well, why, why is this um, in particular a problem? But it's, it's with phosphorus. Um, most of the other elements that could potentially become a problem are either consumed in larger quantities or they can leach out. Water can carry them out out of the soil. But phosphate, phosphorus, um, it it locks down wherever it, wherever it goes, it, you know, lands, and it's not going anywhere unless it's eroded away, washed away with the soil. So, and as that increases, it begins tying up other nutrients, and it. And it just distorts your character again. It just you you move into a into a deformed condition again. And we've talked about this before. It's very difficult to grow it out. It it doesn't grow out very rapidly. Um, and so you don't want to put yourself in that position. But you know I fear uh, just from what I see. But a lot of uh, that. There's a lot of organic growers that continue to dig themselves deeper and deeper into a hole that I'm afraid they're gonna, not going to be able to get out of very easily. And the thing is that there are a lot of people that are very infatuated with this process. They think it's the, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding of the true condition of, na of nature. It's the idea that's founded on evolution that nature is advancing that life is increasing in nature, but that's not what's happening. If you look at, in reality, you look at what's happening, life is decreasing in nature. It's losing ground. But if, you're, if your narrative is that things are evolving and nature is just advancing everything, then your practices are going to be, or your perceptions are going to be consistent with that idea and you're going to do things that are just going to make it worse you're going to be actually wind up taking more and more from life because you have that you know, that underpinning narrative or philosophy that, that life is evolving and advancing as opposed to we look at it what does the bible say about the earth it, it's waxing old it's wearing out it's deteriorating you know it's groaning under the curse um, so you've got to pick one of those two. Which one of which one of them is it? Because that's going to determine how you re respond 
to those, that reality? What, what are the decisions you're going to make based on that reality? Um, so I'm not saying that this is a bad, I, I think this is the, the, the least preferable way of building and maintaining organic matter. Um, and a lot of organic growers look better than they really are because most of the soil lab, the, the lab testing labs, um, they run what's called a, a, a LOI or loss on incineration when they analyze how much organic matter you have. And what that really does, it tells you how much total organic matter you have, not humus, not stable humus that'll stay there. There's a different, uh, the, the Walkley Black test actually tells you how much colloidal humus you have, how much stable humus you have that's actually humus. Um, and a lot of these guys are running these tests and they're showing, they look at it and say, wow, man, they got 10%, 7, 8, 9, 10%. Um, organic matter in their soils, I've seen some as high as 15, um, but it's not stable. It's not, a, it's not stable in that soil. And so it, the way you measure it also can give you a false impression of the way things are. So how do you measure stable humus? The test that, that's utilized for that, they're trying to get it outlawed. <laughs> it's like anything that actually, actually gives, gives people exposure to truth. It's illegal. Um, they're using all kinds of arguments of why they need to make it illegal to use that test anymore. It, it's hardly anybody uses it because they don't want to be, um, they just moved on already. But um, this is just a recurring theme, that anything that might actually confer knowledge and truth to people, um, you've got to take care of and get rid of. So, somewhere or another, you've got to convince people it's illegal, it's dangerous, it's, it's something. Well, it's not it's not illegal yet. The question was, when did it become the soil test become illegal? It, oh, the the type of test it is. Yeah, it's it's called the Walkley Black um, test in order to measure a colloidal humus, but it's it's hardly run by anybody anymore. It's. Yeah. LOI. Because the lab in Australia still runs it. Still runs it? Really? Okay, so. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? Yeah. So there are some people that are still running it. Um, but, it but the other test makes. The other test makes things look a lot better than they are. And they get, make you feel better about, you know, the situation. Because it makes it look better than you are. It's also a cheaper test to run. So. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of times people will say, you know, when their soil tests come back and they they've been running tests in some other lab and everything, and it comes back and they were used to seeing five, six, seven percent organic matter, and it comes back and it's only two. Sometimes even less. It's because now they're seeing the real picture. They're now seeing what what they really have as far as humus goes. So if it says five percent, then you actually got a really good stable. Yeah, if you and see, this is another place where people get confused about um, a really good growing system produces really good food, and if you actually have five percent humus, not five percent organic matter. If you have five percent organic matter, you probably only have a third of that, maybe a quarter of that in actual humus. Um, so. If you actually had 5% humus in your soil, it, it confers tremendous buffering to that soil 
moisture buffering, nutritive buffering. It's a, the, the, the microbes love it for its environment and everything. The truth is that most people don't have that, and they're not even close to it. But they run this other test, and it makes it look like they're, they have it. And um, you find that, too, that a lot of things are deceptive in the way they, you know, the, the way they represent what things are. So that's the difference, and people say, well, I don't think your test is right because my, it, was, it was that much before, and now that's all it is. So well, that was all it was the whole time. It's just that they were telling you something, telling you what you wanted to hear, really. Anyway. Um, okay, so let's just look at, if you're going to do this, some of the sources of this material. Um, Hang on, let me go back here a minute. I need to I need to read a couple things here. Okay, we'll get through it real quick. Uh, the first one up here: compost is not compost unless it is properly composted. You all get that? Because a lot of stuff is called compost that's just aged organic matter. It, it really wasn't you know broken down. And this happens more and more today. Does anybody have an idea why that would happen? It just sits there in ages, and it doesn't ever really break down. Well, most of the composts are coming from from uh, animal animal waste, and they're 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 giving animals massive amounts of antibiotics and drugs and everything, and so it's killing off the biology in the in the um, waste. I shouldn't call it waste, it's actually a resource, but it, you know, um, and so it can't break down there. It can't break, so it just sits there in ages. Um, even some plant residue stuff, there's so many, there's so many chemicals on it now that it just, it just kills off the biology, and so it does, it just sits there and kind of rots, it doesn't really, you can, yeah, well, I would, I would have to say that you're probably a whole lot better off with that source than, you know, not knowing that they were organic. I mean, they're not supposed to be using certain things. But, but, um, but yeah, you would, if I were to use it, I would prefer to try to find an organic source of the compost um, because it's more likely that it's broken down. But there, um, there are even methodologies, proper methodologies of, of composting that need to be employed in order to get aerobic breakdown, aerobic composting of it rather than anaerobic composting of the material. Uh, when I when I recommend when a grower says I'm going to use comp I have an organic grower and you're going to use compost and it's okay to use it and everything, and I I give them these criteria. Can you find this out about it and this that and everything? They it bothers them because it, it requires them. Can I just put it on? You know, and rather than you know, do you not want to know what it is you're putting on? So you know, having an analysis of it. Yeah, we'll see it here. You want a carbon nit to nitrogen ratio of finished compost, it should be about 10 to 1. If it's, if it's higher than that, uh, there's too much carbon in there and it's going to tie up nitrogen when you put it on your soil. And that's going to take it from the plants. The plant, that nitrogen will be taken from the plants because the microbes are, the microbes always eat at the first table. The soil microbes, soil biology always takes the nutrients first, not the plant. And if there's not enough, well, guess who loses? The plant loses, um, and so if it, if the carbon nitrogen ratio is wider than that, it's higher than that. Then there's there's not enough nitrogen to to balance the the carbon in that compost, 
If it's narrow in that, there's too much nitrogen. If you put that on, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn up humus. The, the microbes are going to use it to burn out humus that you're already developed, you know, stored up in your soil. Um, so you want it to have that, that ratio because that's stable. It's, it's stable at that point. Fairly stable. Um, the, it, you, don't, you want the ash content to be low. If the ash content, in other words, if you, if you burn ashed it, you burn it, and it, it's the, the mineral content is really high, most likely they added a bunch of soil to it. They just added a bunch of uh, uh, cheap soil that they could get to, to cut into it to make it you know, go further or whatever. Um, so it should be, the ash content should be fairly low. And this is one of the places where um, growers get themselves into trouble even worse because if they add stuff to it, you know, add soil to it, well, what it came with that too? It's not just what was in the, the uh, manure that was composted or whatever. Um, and that, go, that just leads into the last one, where other ingredients added. You know, because a lot of times they'll add rock phosphate to it, you know, clodophosphate or calcium limestone. They'll, they'll add those things to it. Um, and so... Biosolids, which is from human waste. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in the States, um, I never recommend anybody buy blended fertilizer because they have a law in the U.S. that, that uh, allows them to put a certain percentage of hazardous waste in with that blend. And the idea is that you know, it's going to be spread out over a wide area, so a little bit of contamination. But nobody ever asked the question, what is the cumulative effect? If everybody says, well, we can put a little garbage here and we can put a little garbage there, and then you use a dozen things with a little bit of garbage in it, how much garbage do you have? Dangerous stuff in there. So, yeah, I mean, biosolids, uh, if it, yeah, you've got, a, you've got an issue with biosolids. It's unfortunate because, um, yeah, I better stay out of that subject because it, you know, it's, it's a resource that should be returned to the land. And the way it's being handled now is, is um, actually creating more problems than solving. But it requires a little more responsibility on the part of the individual to be able to accomplish something like that. And people don't want to be bothered with that. They just want it to go away and somebody else take care of it. You have excellent composting systems Yeah, you can use for somebody that's out in the, for somebody who wants to live out in the country and they might not have access. They might only have a, you know, uh, they don't want to put, you know, spend a ton of money on a, on a septic system or whatever. You can use a dry toilet. And then you, what they call it a dry toilet. In other words, it, you can you can build a, a box and you you put a bucket and you can if you don't if you you don't feel like handling it you can put biodegradable bags in there and you just pull the bag and then you just compost it with with enough carbon material you leave it for a year it's broken down all of the it's, it, it'll be anaerobically decomposed and then it can go back on the land. I was looking at photographs of a guy's place that he's been that's all he's been fertilizing his his gardens with for 37 years. And it's beautiful, but it's not being, you know, it's a whole subject you can get into. But again, you, you save tons of expense. You don't waste the resource. People are just paranoid about it because it's human, it's human waste. And so um, they're, they're concerned about pathogens or whatever that would affect humans. Uh, not eating GM, you're right. <laughs> as as you're not eating what? GM, GM. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Well, that's another thing you need to take into consideration, by the way, if you're doing compost. Because organic growers in our country are allowed to apply compost 
from animals that were feeding on GM crops. Yeah. And so as long as it, they say as long as it's composted, that makes it natural. And so I don't use it. I can tell you horror stories about what the impact that those that uh, glyphosate is having on and the genetic engineering. It's really the glyphosate because of the genetic engineering is the worst. It's bad enough, but the impact that glyphosate is a chelator. It's a mineral chelator, so it ties up minerals so you can't get them. So you eat food, and the, the, the glyphosate is, is tying, is chelating the nutrients, so you can't digest it, you can't absorb it. It's killing people. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, we're out of time, but let's just run through this real quick, and, and then we need to we need to quit because I'm in cutting into Ian's time. Is he here yet? Um, okay. See, these are some of the sources, typical sources people utilize. Hobbins horse manure. Uh, it shows you the, the carbon to nitrogen ratio on it. It's fairly balanced. Um, when you say it's hot, it's, it's a, it's, it's, um, it, it works fairly quickly. Um, but I would prefer it composted to get the ratio, carbon nitrogen ratio, down some before you put it on the soil. Um, cattle manure, there's two different kinds. It's either dairy cattle manure, like you were talking about, or there's you know beef cattle manure. And dairy cattle because they're producing milk, a lot of times they'll supplement calcium to them. This is also true, you see, when we get down to poultry. Um, so it'll change the composition of the manure compared to beef cattle. Um, it's, um, the carbon nitrogen ratio is lower. It's higher in nitrogen than horse manure. It's closer to humus formation when composted than, than horse manure is. And it's higher in potassium content. General. So if you wanted, you need potassium, and you're going to use a compost, well, you might want to search out cattle manure because you're going to get more compost relative to other things. I mean, more potassium relative to other things on it. The next one's poultry manure. It's another one of the, what they call hot. It reacts fairly quickly. It's uh, broiler manure is fairly balanced. That, in other words, that's meat birds. If the, if the manure is coming from meat birds, uh, it's fairly balanced. Layer manure is usually high in calcium because they supplement oyster shell again to strengthen the eggshells to produce eggs. So if you need calcium and you had a choice between broiler manure or layer manure, you would go for the layer manure. If you're excessive in calcium, well, you wouldn't want to use that one because it's going to have to. And turkey manure, which we talked about before, is a good source of copper because they supplement copper to turkeys because they, um, have, they don't process copper very well and they're susceptible to aneurysms as a re result. Um, sheep manure, which you guys may have a lot of here, is a fairly rich manure. It's similar to poultry manure, but a little lower in nitrogen. So a similar effect. Uh, hog manure, uh, if you need phosphate, I tend, uh, you know, people have different levels of, of you know, accept, acceptability on and different things. I tend to pervert to avoid certain materials, but, you know, some people it doesn't matter. Uh, Hog manure is higher in phosphate, so if you were deficient phosphate and you were going to use a manure source, uh, hog manure would be a better source to get, get the phosphate. I actually have a grower who raises hogs, and he's not raising them, on, he's pasture raising them, he's raising them on grass, and he doesn't have enough space, and he's, his phosphate levels are, are going out the roof, and I said, you need to move them. You're going to have to figure out you know, where you can move them because it's just going to keep going up, and as it goes up, that grass is going to deteriorate, 
you're going to start having health problems because it's going to start tying nutrients up and everything. But he has nowhere to go with them. I said, well, you're going to have to decide what you want to do. But I'm just telling you what's coming down the road. Um, you're going to have problems. Uh, and then, of course, there's yard and food waste that is composted, and it's variable in its content depending on the materials that are going into it. Uh, and that would include compost and castings because a lot of times they'll use earthworms to produce castings, breaking down you know, yard, you know, food waste um, in that. I'm going to save talking about casting. We, we need to quit. So when I get to biology, we're going to talk about a little bit about that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.